My name is Danny, and I play in a band called Output 111. Cold Waves of Comfort was the name of an album that I had worked on for the past three or four years.
tell it all to me Thank you.
Uh, Brendan, what do you think? Uh, well, I was first of all flattered to be in good company uh, listening to it. I have been working myself a lot or, or dabbling a bit in soundscapes recently and almost like sound design. And so there was a lot in here that touched on the same questions of, of how to manipulate sound and create interesting textures while still being musical, which is something that um, because I'm still working in uh, scoring and composition after season two of, of my last uh, blowback season, I've been I've been going further into that, that it was it was actually kind of fortuitous that you that you asked me to do it because it allowed me to especially in those segments where you were using samples from all the different tracks, it allowed me to try and think in those terms that I've already been been getting into with some of the sound design and, and uh, again, kind of soundscape ideas. Are these for like your next season or just for your own musical project? Uh, uh, I can't talk about uh, okay. in concrete terms exactly what they're for yet, but um, it, it's, it's, definitely come out of the composition, like the, the uh, soundtrack, I guess is the word that I did for season two of blowback. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's quite, it's quite fun. And I, I, I'm not turning toward a more um, ambient or sort of drone focused uh, sound altogether, but I am trying to familiarize myself with how to, I think, marry more more overtly musical stuff with more atmospheric stuff and that was a lot of what was going on here so that was very cool to listen to one of the things that i when i first heard your track like when you sent it to me um i don't know if you've listened to much greg dooley or like afghan wigs yeah i i i know a lot of afghan wigs more early afghan wigs and uh, twilight singers mm -hmm. as well yeah that was not without sounding like it there was a similar kind of vibe like through the use of like there's there's certain elements in the polyrhythm that he uses like in saint gregory was one i was listening to earlier today that had that kind of southern like almost like new orleans style kind of beat behind what was just a gentle guitar line um the yeah. piano build over the over the bass and you know it's it, it i feel like it's a really easy term to throw when there's like a uh, to use around when there's music that has a sense of ambience or mood to it to say that it's cinematic, but there's there's a movie quality um, to his stuff is, that I picked up on yours as well. And well, that's very flattering. I like Greg Dooley a lot, and I know for a fact that a, a big phase I went through maybe the better part of a decade ago, where I listened to a lot of him and a lot of African wigs, has probably just uh, over the years made it into my uh, DNA whenever I was fooling around or recording anything. So I'm, I'm positive that that's a, you actually kind of identified the exact, one of the exact influences going on, particularly in a song like that. I mean, the song was something I, I dug up when you contacted me as a, what I thought might be an ideal example, because it was far enough along uh, that it was, I was able to maybe tweak a few things and then just send it over. But it wasn't something that I had ever felt I was going to go further with or was altogether really even that happy with at all. Um, I still I, I thought it sounded interesting in the mix that, that, that you've done. Um, but since it's my own composition, I feel fine saying I still don't really love it. Uh, it's, it's just what it is. It's just, you know, it's one of those things. It's a song from a certain moment that you tried something out and then put down and 
for that reason, it can be interesting to hear again. But it, it definitely is trying to flex some of those muscles that, that I think Dooley is, is very, has toned very well over the years. You just said that connected to another piece in the track was, uh, so there's like a little ambient dark intro, uses bits of, of uh, a piece Gene wrote, um, and this sort of underlying synth, um, just hitting mean sounding uh, bass lines. And uh, it builds into this sort of like rock song that was in a band I used to play with. Um, it was like the only EP that we put out for this. And on this song, I'm just playing lead guitar. And throughout the last two years, when I was thinking about that project, I was like not feeling fond or uh, emotionally connected in any way to the stuff that I put into it. Like it felt like, like you were saying, like flexing a muscle or, well, if we're going to be in a rock band, we write, like I'll write stuff that people, I think people would want to hear. And then uh, having enough space from it and recontextualizing and remixing it and making it sound a bit more dirty and a bit more odd and, and spaced out. Um, I didn't realize you felt the way about uh, about Mercedes. I, I think one, one thing I really remember about it was um, because this was just when I was, I wasn't doing anything publicly as far as music went. Um, I, maybe I posted a couple of things here or there, but then I, I took them down just as quickly because I thought uh, this, this, isn't, this isn't necessarily a, a moment where I'm going to be um, terribly prolific. So why put anything up at all? <clears throat> I'm very zero something <laughs> like that. And then when, uh, you know, now that, the the blowback stuff has allowed me to be musical again it's it's definitely something i'm i'm getting more serious about but when this when i was writing this or when i was recording it at first it was way too bloated which was a uh, a habit that i had to check myself about doing the the score for for the last season because i i definitely have a an instinct to layer and layer and layer and layer in in a kind of unconscious hope that that will smooth everything out and produce the you know the the most uh full or rich or interesting version of whatever you're working on and it had a lot more samples it was basically the same you know melody but it was it was a lot muddier and and um sort of obscure in the in 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 and crowded out and the last thing i did that i think probably did improve it so that i felt like oh this is something at least halfway decent i could send you was that i i just went through and started just deleting whole tracks and just like with a scythe just cutting away at everything that felt like it was not essential or was a flight of fancy or wasn't really all that musical and uh, then it it suddenly sounded pretty decent, and I put it down finally. And I said, "Okay, well, that I don't know what, what this will ever be, but that's that's that idea, and it's a lot better now." So I think it was in addition to something that I thought might work in general. It was an early lesson that I still haven't quite shook about, or still haven't quite learned, rather a habit I haven't shook of doing more with less, rather, and and that's that's. Um, that's something that I think is a strange thing, uh, how hard it is to learn, but 
it's there. Uh, it, it's it's something that that hasn't hasn't gone away from me yet. Do you think that's a confidence thing? Like, as if you're you're hearing something, something's not right, and it's it's never this needs to go. Like, is it is ego? Is it just confidence? Or I think uh, it, it could, of course, be different things for different people. For me, it always I think it always felt more like um, masking a um, lack of almost technical or um, like gear related stuff where I I didn't have great mics. I only recently have sort of upgraded my situation with a decent interface and, uh, you know, familiarizing myself more with DAWs and things like that. Bought some monitors, etc. So especially around the time I would have been making this little song, I was always... I think worried that um, it didn't sound full or or rich or properly um, slick. Yeah, uh, maybe not slick, but you know what I mean. Just it didn't it didn't it sounded too rinky dink. And so then the stubborn solution is to just start piling in a bunch of things so that you can't deny that there's stuff in there there's there's a there's a lot of stuff going on whether or not that is actually it's it's a very basic lesson like i said that it doesn't mean things sound better or bigger just because there's more going on but it is it, it, i think when you're a when you're just fooling around and you're not taking things that seriously but also when you're less experienced that is convincing to yourself is that you, you just need to keep beefing it up and that'll that'll crack it when in fact it could just be a little bit of EQing that makes everything uh, better, even if there's three, there's only three instruments there or three voices there. Um, so I think that was part of it. And in a way, that is about confidence. It was about a lack of confidence in the in the quality of the sound and in the in the quality of the arrangement, I guess. I, I get that. Like I threw out this show, each each song that that's built into an episode has been approached in a similar manner. Um, especially controller, the one that I, I used as the, the kind of basis. That was just recorded with one one piano line and one mic recorded individually using a 58 and having like a rinky dink, um, to borrow the term, like line six little guy trying to compensate for not knowing how to uh, cut out on inappropriate tones by layers of overdrive or... <laughs> reversing everything and stacking reverbs on it i um i think it's related to another thing i try to watch myself about which is the sort of being paralyzed by choice or paralyzed by potential every time you start something new because there's this anxiety i have that um is definitely overactive i mean hence anxiety i guess but um it's it's the idea that you haven't yet discovered the best version of this idea. Um, you, you know, cause there's endless permutations in the multiverse of what this idea turns out to be. So which one is the one that's really good? Um, or that you have a preconceived idea of what it sounds like in your head and you can't get there. And that was often the case, especially when I was, you know, younger or, or even less experienced than I still am about how to craft sound 
put sounds together is that it's like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't sound like what I want. Why does this sound boxy? Why does this sound too tinny? What am I missing to make it better? <clears throat> Which is why I think I would often fall back on the idea that I needed more expensive equipment or better microphones or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and to some degree, that, that can be the case. But then there's just the fact that sometimes you want to write something or record something very quick and dirty because that actually is the best version it's going to be. And, and you should actually sort of embrace that spontaneity and it will suffer from overthinking. Oh yeah. And so the, the less time you have, the better, because then that's the, the, the fresher idea is what it is. However, there are other times when you are greatly, greatly helped by having more time and that the first draft was actually crap or, you know, just underdeveloped and that it's, and thank God you had more time to go back and try more and, shuffle a couple things around even if that means that you've like i said before you've uh, pared things down um regardless of whether you build it up more or you pare it down more the the aspect of spending more time on it can can also be very useful so knowing but with the problem is you don't know and this is where the anxiety comes in if this is going to be one of those times where you should embrace the quick and dirtiness and just be sp spontaneous about it and that's going to give you the best version in the multiverse or if this is an example where you want to make sure that you don't rush it and that you do revisit it and that you do shuffle things around and second guess a little bit so that you actually chisel it down more and more until it's better, which is the opposite approach. And I think that's always something that I'm not quite sure if, if I have a good grasp on when I start things. And, and it, I don't know which one it's better to kind of bank on, but um you know this i wrote this like maybe four years ago so at this point i have no idea whether i should have worked on it more at the time or whether i should have worked on it less at the time i don't want to sound like i'm kissing your ass i just think it's a really great song oh thanks each of the songs um because i've been immersed in them over the last month i've caught myself in moments just like humming it or, or singing along like the other track that stuck out in that way was the um the aaron corbett one yes i like that yeah, one too. um aaron aaron's fucking amazing and uh, they are um really supportive of this show like um and this was a remix of a song off of their album swelter molt sweat metal. that's it yeah i think it's their first full release that they put they pressed the vinyl they send me those 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 stems and they're like do whatever the hell you want with it like finally there's like one section towards the end of just a, the beat just a really small like doom 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 like a almost a build up into a larger part uh mm -hmm. in the series of accidents that managed to lead it into like stretched out pasted cut up and then creating a whole beat underlying the song accidentally yeah. throwing uh overdrive over the entire track and giving it yeah. some hell like hellish bass yeah i forgot where i'm going with that because i'm boosted up but uh... <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna ask you what was um because I, I, you know, I, I liked hearing um, what I sent you, and it's a little different from, from what I sent you. What did you end up doing with uh, with what with, with that I had sent over? Because the, the, like it's certainly not too remixed as far as the content goes, like the, the arrangement or the um, you know the linearity of the song is this, it's 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 what it was, but it sounds a little airier, a little um, you know processed. And I was wondering what you um, played around. There are a with. couple things. Um... The template mixer that I use in the final thing has like a like an ad limit and an exciter on it. Um, I try to keep that as dialed down as possible, but the exciter especially adds a lot of air to the tracks. 
Um, so if there's a song that has symbols, it really helps highlight that. I When I first sat down with your song, I was like, I'm going to do all this crazy shit with the guitar and make it wild and give it like pitched reverb. And then I felt like a dick. So I like, st- I call that down and uh, just focused on um, your initial note was you could boost the guitars in the second chorus. When I have like a specific note like that, I can get really obsessive and bounce it a few times, put it on my phone, listen to it on these headphones and like do the dishes or make dinner or something or go for a walk. And uh, as soon as I catch something new, it was a result of that change that I don't like, like your lead bass line being less prominent as a result, that would piss me off. I'd drop what I would do and I'd go back to the mix and try and solve that. So yeah, like I tried saturating your guitar a bit, setting it to a few buses with amp simulators on them to make it a bit more prominent in that. Um, yeah, my uh, my knowledge as a mixer and as a producer is incredibly limited. Same here. Yeah. Um, shut up. I've listened to your show. It sounds great. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've had, well, maybe, maybe as far as the show goes, but I had help for the soundtrack for okay. sure from uh, my friends. So I think the original version of it, before I went went at it with a you know with a pickaxe was a lot more there was a lot more gunk on top of it that was um, like garage band stock synthesizers that I just at the time was like yeah this will do and um, I cut all that out so that at that at the point that you have it it was basically just guitar and the bass and the vocals and you know some 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 samples and stuff um, but the 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 guitar was originally way way buried deep in so now in addition to me uncluttering it a lot you then boosted the guitar even more so i think that um uh, and actually i i i think that was the first time i had played this little telecaster that i that i had bought as a little treat i always had a a gibson and i i I sort of always regretted that because i i should have gotten a telecaster i like that twang a lot more than i like the kind of chunkiness Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a Gibson I had been told I should get by like, you know, a, a teacher I respected a lot. So I got it and then it was a lot of money and I could never fully, you know, justify switching up. So then uh, I, I do like the guitar in this cause it was the first time I kind of felt, felt, uh, satisfied hearing a, you know, kind of cluck coming from a, a, a Telecaster on something I had, I had recorded. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you boosted it. Oh, cool. Um, I think one of the things I, the two things I didn't want to lose, actually there's a billion things I didn't want to lose, but like the lead bass line was something that really, really hooked me. I love the sound of a, of a tinny overdriven bass. Um, and the line was really catchy. And then there was that, um, timbala sample or something, the, the beat that sort of leads the song that the bass comes in on. Oh, um, that is a sample of a Nina Simone song. I thought so, because, yeah, you had it titled Nina instead. Do you remember what song that is? Yeah, yeah, Blackbird. Oh, nice. Um, I'd have to look up exactly where that is in your catalog, but, yeah, that's just the very... It may, it may not be the beginning of that track, but it's the beat that underlays that track, and I just thought it sounded spooky, and so I isolated it and looped it, and uh, I might have sped it up a little bit or slowed it down a little bit. I don't remember. And so that was um, the first thing I did. I just said I want to put something together around that loop. And then the uh, really, I mean, the name of the song Mercedes is 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 after Mercedes McCambridge, um, who was the actress who provided the vo- the voice of demonic regan in the exorcist oh cool um and 
she was a as a younger woman she was already a, a well-known actress in hollywood but when she was older she had a very um fantastically craggy and textured voice and william friedkin who directed the exorcist knew that he wanted to use her as this voice of pazuzu the demon because he knew that she had all these different strange pathways uh in her throat from you know not only a career performing but also i think she had, she had at one point you know definitely uh, sort of carved her throat up with a lot of whiskey and cigarettes and she actually for the film she got off the wagon in order to drink again and get it raspier and was chain smoking and they she asked them to to um tie her to a chair so that she could um feel sound even more you know erratic and um uh sort of volatile although i might have that flipped i think she felt she didn't need that but friedkin thought it would add to the effect at any rate i found some uh footage or or some audio reel online of just her sounds in in no particular you know um linear order that were eventually integrated into parts of the film and it was just like 15 minutes of mercedes or cambridge sounding like a maniac and so i thought that was a cool thing to maybe try to start building something out of and so um and then there's the little bits of her talking from a documentary of the exorcist where she's discussing her her um preparation for for the part and that's the very beginning and uh i also love the third movie in that series everyone sleeps on exorcist 3 because they think it's must be even worse than exorcist 2 which is terrible but in fact exorcist 3 is maybe even better than exorcist 1 and so there's a brad duraf sample in there too but i i think that that nina simone sample and then the mercedes Cambridge sounds were the first thing that uh made me want to put something together that eventually became this and so then the lyrics are um kind of based around the idea of being uh of, of sort of ghostly ghostly states mm. and uh that was all just a little kind of prompt you know self-imposed prompt from the the content of the mercedes cambridge audio well, that's really cool man you just covered like three of my questions in a row there so oh. <laughs> thanks for taking my job from no I, I i'm remembering this as we're talking i completely forgot like why it was called that and then i remember like oh yeah well there's 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 that there's there's samples what why did i put those samples in and then so that was real-time uh live rediscovery of my own method in putting that that song together. nice but we can talk more about those things i mean i, I that's just my first memory uh, i uh i was curious if like so the all all three vocal samples, like dialogue samples, those are from either this reel of Mercedes McCambridge and The Exorcist Three. One in the middle is from a film called Lake Mungo, mm. and it's a man asking a girl, "Do you are you afraid of death?" And that is uh, from a very good movie called Lake Mungo, which is another supernatural movie that um, I won't spoil here. But that uh, if anyone's listening and like a. a a quality uh, slow burn ghost story. It's very good. I, I think at that point, I just thought it it matched. Um, but yeah, if I'm not mistaken, there's Mercedes uh, growls and gurgles throughout. Um, and then in the middle, there's the Lake Mungo sample. And then at the end, the really nasty screaming guy is Brad Dorif in Exorcist 3, who he is uh, one of the villains in, in that film. And uh, and it ends with Mercedes Mercambridge 
um, again at the very very end when she's kind of st- talking nonsense. Yeah, and that part uh, really helps sort of set the tone for the ending of this piece as well. Like on the on the larger music section, I think I initially intended to end with controller, thinking that like this would be the mm. final of this album that I was obsessed with for some time, and then it felt too perfect and kind of like oh, we just listened to this horrifying. Um, almost like lullaby. Is that is that what she's doing at the end there? Yeah, I, I don't fully know. I'd have to listen to it again, but it's some kind of mock uh, sing song or something. Yeah, yeah, it just fed so beautifully into what um, Blood and Dust head forward. I really liked that. I I thought that was uh, maybe my favorite bit, um, and and a great way to 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 transition and to, and to end it. Cool. Yeah, um, Blood and Dust experimental doom duo in in quebec um and hex is an old friend of mine from university they uh mm. they play the cello and have started doing vocal performances that are like incantations uh yeah like horror music that actually sounds terrifying and not like rockabilly right I wanted to try and do like a vocal line over something that hex had written and i knew i wanted a lot but all these things that came from you know brooklyn and toronto and and, and montreal probably somewhere else in the States that I'm not remembering, came together in this, it just, it's fucking nuts, man. Like how just, they just seem to fit so fucking well. Like that transition from that cackle to that cello really got me. Yeah. Yeah. After that first bounce, I got like a little bit emotional as if like this, you know, like something I've been working on uh, over a year and something built out of something I'd been working on over five and having that sort of that note kick in of, this is this is the part now. This is when it's over. There was also like a euphoric moment when uh, when that first dialogue sample from Mercedes kicks in. Well, it was great. It was I enjoyed um, hearing. I mean, it's obviously I'm sure people have said this if they've submitted stuff to you that um, you know in this way. But I, it was funny and and you know a little strange to hear something from from a so long ago, but also something that was never really shown to anybody mm-hmm. in this context play back to you. Um, and obviously I, I feel like I said at the top, I feel flattered to, to be in the, in the, literally in the mix here, but I was, I was really, I was a little apprehensive because it's, it's just, it's very poppy as far as it goes, especially compared to the more, I would, I would say the more sophisticated and, um, more like rich and sublime stuff that comes before and after whether that's because the material already felt that atmospheric or because you uh, had remixed things to, to, to get it there. Um, but then, but then I was surprised that it did feel of a piece with everything. My, my, my song, um, because uh, it didn't, it didn't take me out of it and it had every possible reason to take me out of it, you know, given that, in addition to knowing it was coming, it was something I was a little uh, apprehensive about, but it it it, it works. So I, I thought it was a very successful, very successful experiment as far as as far as you were able to pull it off. Yeah, Cheers, yeah. thanks. I, I do like I, I I really appreciate that. It's a pleasure to be here, Crosby. Let me be blunt. Is there a labor crisis in America today? Well, that depends what you mean by. Moving a little bit into the blowback stuff. Like I noticed there were some echoes on up to the melody or like maybe just a development of your approach in love theme. I am not sure if it's if it's the way the synth's played, but there was 
there was something about that. There were some more obvious sort of ties, like um, your use of, of clip dialogue and news. It also ties into like how the show has worked, but do you find that dialogue or, or news clippings like really do help as a like more often than not as a kind of creative prompt or yeah i think that of course in as far as the show is concerned there's a lot of that um flying around because the show is dealing in history and archival clips are a very useful way to get people to have an immediate connection to what we're describing and the action. But, but I do, I do put things in the music as well. Cause you know, if people aren't aware and they're listening to this, the, the blowback is the show I do about history with my co-host Noah Cohen, but I, I compose the music and this season we have put the music out as its own entity. We've, you know, released essentially an, as a soundtrack album and the, the media drops or the or the samples I like using, even if they're very brief, but probably for the same reason that any that anyone ever uses them is that they have something in there that, uh, like I was talking about with the Mercedes McCambridge material, that gives you this sort of, as you say, creative prompt or or just conjures something at the right moment, or is even just there's a snatch of dialogue that is rhythmically you know, exciting that, that somehow uh, can plug into uh, the music very easily and contribute something that a more straightforward musical element couldn't. So I like doing that because musically, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's inevitably there's there's going to be some level of uh, sort of home base, you know, where you like certain sounds or you like certain certain approaches to stuff. But this is this is back when I I was even less apt at shaping uh sounds and 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 things like that so i i think um there could be a little relation to the love theme in there with the piano um i think there might have actually originally been an even more similar piano line that i cut out um that uh that might have sounded like like some stuff on the season two soundtrack as well so yeah i mean can take years for those things to find their right you know form when you when you introduced the new season you had this very gracious introduction this you know like uh, appreciating noah's and 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 robin's contributions and, but you also kind of described your own input to the music in a way that like undersold it and you know I, I, it's something i i can i connect with because i do that a lot too in my own work and I, from from what I gathered, was season one like we need something to go in this? I'm just gonna di like write this synth. Season two, did you sit down with your monitors and listen to the whole thing and compose something in reaction to it? Or very much so. Season one, the reason people ask why isn't there a season one soundtrack, and that's because you know, I don't consider the music all that you know up to mm. snuff. It's it's not bad at, at setting a mood, but I mean, if you were to listen to it on its own, I think it would need a lot of work. I just I just wouldn't feel comfortable. Uh, having released what was ultimately a pretty rushed uh, job to 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 give it some uh, sense of a thematic continuity and, and and some atmosphere, but I knew I wanted to do a better job at that in the second season. So then the second season, I took it I took I took it very seriously, and I I got together with my friends Marty and Joe, who are from the band Wet, uh, and and Robin Hatch, as you mentioned. Uh, who's fantastic uh, composer herself and and obviously a, a performer and keyboardist 
Um, she is on one of the tracks, uh, Anna Deer. She composed the beginning and the end. And I wanted to work with them and I wanted to have it be a proper soundtrack that could stand alone um, in addition to serving the needs of, of the show. And so, yeah, I wrote a bunch of stuff and started to pick through the ideas that, that were the best. I didn't want to overstuff it. And I tried as best I could to get things as close to finished as possible before I showed them to Marty and Joe, who basically acted as producers. Uh, and then Robin and I, I sent her that track that she was on and I said, here's the melody I have. It's the one in the middle. And if you want to write it, you know, something to kind of bookend it. And then she did. And, and then she recorded her stems and sent them to me. And, and I brought them to Marty and Joe. I brought the whole album to Marty and Joe as, as close to finished as possible. And then it was a matter of basically, you know, mixing. And uh, there were a couple things that stood out. Marty, for example, on Love Theme, put in a MIDI guitar that comes in halfway through that I think sounds very cool, like sort of intentionally artificial sounding acoustic guitar, which wasn't there before. But <clears throat> I don't think they'd mind my saying for the most part, everything sounds pretty much like what I had in Logic, although it was a great deal muddier. And, you know, Marty and Joe helped me, you know, excavate the, uh, everything that needed to be polished up. And that was uh, really, really a great thing. And um, should we do another season, uh, which I can't comment on one way or the other, it, it's going to be, I think, even more exciting with, 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 with some lessons learned about how to do it a little bit more efficiently. And, and, and also, as I said at the very top, working, working with less and getting more, because I do think if, if, if I could have, I, I, I would have tried to still scale down a little bit um last time around but it was an interesting process yeah the one the last thing i'll say to, your, to answer it is that it was an interesting thing because i would basically write the quote-unquote full if you like tracks that would stand alone first and record everything and then as a way to score the show i would take individual or multiple but not the whole field of tracks say I take out the percussion and just have it be a little bit more subdued, or I would take out the melody line and just have chords or atmosphere. And I would use those as like alternate versions in the course of the show. So I knew that in one complete version of say, Jupiter Missiles, the first song or love theme, I actually had like five alternate versions, depending on what I left in and what I took out that could fit different tones or different um, versions of what theme uh, I, I needed in the show. And then there are some, you know, bits and bobs that aren't on the soundtrack at all that are only in the show from piano takes I just kind of did on the fly. And maybe someday I can put those out on their own because um, I recorded um, piano at a, at a nice studio um, that, you know, I should probably get my the bang for my buck. and get some of that piano, the nice sounding piano out there. But um, it was, it was a, it was the best way I could think of to kind of do the standalone soundtrack work and the scoring of the show at the same time, you know, using the, yeah, yeah. using the tracks in that way. And in five years, if you're pressed for cash, you can do the, the season two anniversary vinyl with extra bits. I want to do a vinyl and I did technically announce that, but uh, people are going to have to give me some time. I, I just got swamped with other stuff and it was more of a headache than I thought it would be to try to find how to do a small run of, of vinyl. So we can talk about that off air if you want to help okay. me out with that. Um, but, but I, I do think that we should do that and, and there will be a vinyl at some point.
do you consider do you do you see like live performance for if not this stuff um for anything you put out in the future as as an option i've thought about it a little bit i think there are certain ways it could happen um that would be really fun and i guess it'll just have to depend on uh because right now Right now, blowback and working on blowback is the highest sort of profile I have to to do music. And so I think that at least for the moment, if there were a way to get something going in a live situation with blowback, I think I would like to do something with the music as well. Um, and, you know, th this is all, this is not a wink, wink, cutesy thing where I'm planning on doing this and I'm dropping it here. I really am totally be, just sort of being hypothetical, but I would love to work with Robin and Marty and Joe and all, and, and, and everyone um, in a live setting as well. Uh, and that's, that's an interesting idea. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a really fun one. I haven't probably played any music live for a decade so i would need to make sure i was uh, up to snuff um more than anybody else marty and joe just did a tour and robin obviously has been touring so i i uh, i'd have to catch up but i think um it does appeal to me and you know the music the certainly the music the season two soundtrack was stuff that you could imagine hearing live and and playing live so it's it's a cool idea you had mentioned like when your past performance uh was that as a bandmate? Were you as a like? Were you performing your own stuff or a part uh, of a larger piece? I would have been, I would have been in a band, but it was one that I was hopelessly tyrannizing, mm -hmm. you know, um, that I think it was more just like friends were helping me out and playing and, and playing um, uh, stuff that I had written, and I don't even remember whether it would have been in New York or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, in high school, I, I, I tried to do some, some playing around, uh, and I played guitar and sang and, um, that all pretty much stopped after college. Um, and I, and I am definitely, you know, serious when I say I would have to catch up if I ever played any of this stuff live, you know, performers as good as, as people like Robin, you know, mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's an interesting thought. What about you? What was the last time you, you played live? Uh, well, we played last Thursday. There you go. <laughs> um, On the other side of the spectrum. Well, no, we're not. We're not um, touring uh, in any capacity. This this has been as much of uh, as much as an attempt to get people to listen to twenty, in your case, forty minutes of music with my shit in it. Uh, this has also been an outlet for not being able to play. I think one of the things I liked the most about it was I wasn't facing a crowd. I was. Mm. I was facing my, my bandmates, and I feel like that just made us a lot tighter as a result. <laughs> I used to hate seeing other bands do it, and now it just feels a lot better. It can contribute to the energy. Oh, yeah. I, I, I cling to the comfort of uh, broadcasting to, you know, my own wall and not mm. to, uh, to other human beings right in front of me. I love it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to look at people, I guess. It's totally necessary. Thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to do this, man. It was a real treat. Not at all. Uh, thanks for for uh, sifting through those stems, and uh, I'm I'm interested to actually listen to it again. I might do it as soon as we get off. Um, it was uh, it was a very it's a it's a very interesting it's a very interesting show idea. I'm I'm, I'm slightly envious. It's a good idea. Um, but yeah, anytime, anytime.
I want to thank everyone who shared music for this show. We had a lot of great music sent in. The first song of this episode was by my old band, The Slow Night. Elias Campbell and Sean Sutherland of the Dream Logic podcast were on that. Eli sang and Sean uh, did backups. He played drums. That was, looking back, one of my favorite songs of that project. Elias was also my guest for episode two, and he provided some vocals that I used in episode three of this show. Uh, The piece that follows the Slow Night song is by a band called Droopies. It's It's a piece that they didn't think worked with the rest of their material, but I really appreciate it. They shared this piece, I liked it so much, I used it to transition twice. I thought it really just added a great sense of movement. Following them was uh, Aaron Corbett. Aaron was on a previous episode. They let us use their song, their then new single, um, Angel Liver, and manipulate it and bend it um, to fit the song we were working on uh, in episode eight. Um, They've been really supportive of the show, and it was great to use Tar Beast off of their um, fantastic record, Swelter, Molt, Sweat, and Metal. Check it out on Bandcamp. I got to pick it up on vinyl um, when I saw them play in October at the Ultra Show. They're fantastic live. If you have a chance to check them out, do it. You will not regret it. Following Aaron's piece, there's a transition. We use a bit of a song we wrote called uh, The Wall's a Liar. It was on the Demo Fest 2020 compilation that's on Bandcamp. Following them, my bassist, Gene, who's been on the show a few times, Gene wrote a piece called Impulse Control. He used recordings in BC of A Quiet Stream, A Seagull Feeding Frenzy, and really loud people at a wine bar. He manipulated them through you know, reverse techniques, uh, wall of effects. Gene sent me a little text uh, with some of his notes about it and he sent it all through a randomizer. You hear various points of that, pieces of that song um, that sound different because he doesn't have a way to actually replicate the stems due to the randomizer. Gave us a lot of material to work with and carry the mood across. Uh, And that led into a remix of All I Want Is Everything by Atlas Engine. Uh, Thank you, Nick, for sharing that song with us. We got a really, I thought, a really cool remix out of that song that was encouraged by some technical issues with the stems. Uh, we have Droopy's uh, piece again a little bit later in their in their song. Um, again, it just works really well as a transition. Um, then I started using stems from Brendan's track Mercedes, from Tar Beast by Aaron, by uh, from Impulse Control just to create a little spacious, you know, like a little a little quiet removed bit of song, something to carry the piece into Controller, which was a song I wrote in maybe three or four hours. It's recorded using, you know, your very basic Shure 58 mics on a piano that is out of tune, um, reversed and stacked over itself. Uh, the vocal line, I think I recorded at six or 6.30 in the morning. Um, it's the second to last song we've written for this album. Uh, yeah, it would have been late 2018 when I did that one. Next we move into Mercedes by our guest, the great Varelli, Brendan James of Blowback. I really appreciated the chance to hear something that uh, he had no plans on releasing and getting it to work 
into this larger bit. And then we move into uh, the end. That started with a jam by Hex and Liz of Blood and Dust, uh, based in Montreal. They were one of our earliest musician guests. Like I said to Brendan, I've wanted to sing over something they wrote since we started working on this project. The first half of what I've decided to call title track is what they sent me and in its entirety, just with my vocals recorded over it. Uh, and then we move into a faster, a more, faster, more aggressive half of the song that was created by taking Hex's cello, Liz's synths and drum samples. Um, that underlying drum beat that we used under uh, for Aaron's Tar Beast remix and uh, my bandmate Vic playing guitar. We also used um, a small sample of guitar and bass that I had in the previous episode, um, The Sycophant. That was episode 11, the one we had with um, Olive Glass. I really like reusing and recontextualizing ideas. Uh, if this is the first time you've listened to this show, um, that second half of that song has taken one line of of the lyrics of each song, uh, recontextualized as a kind of, I don't know, epilogue or, or, or mission statement, but it felt like it took all of the work over the last five years and poured it into uh, something, something really, uh, at least to me, quite meaningful. Um, in a collaboration with my friends and and people I really respect. Every musician that has sent something in, uh, in the show notes, we've linked to their work and we'll do the same in the show notes for this episode. I also want to give a, a, a big thanks to Molly O'Brien and Chris Wade of And Introducing Podcast, Infinite Cast, uh, Hell of Presidents, and Chapo Trap House. Um, I reached out to Molly, I think after we had released one or two episodes. Uh, she gave me some very helpful feedback, has been very kind, has bumped the show a few times, and also recommended a whole like, swath of musicians uh, for me to reach out to for this episode. She is incredibly cool and kind, and uh, I'm really grateful for that. And Introducing is my favorite music podcast. Um, she's heard me grovel about it a few times, but I'm being honest, I think it's fun. I think uh, you learn a lot about the musicians they talk about um, through the books that they've read or uh, material they've you know, absorbed of their work. Uh, and I also like to thank Chris. Um, in Molly's email, uh, Chris gave the go-ahead for me to name drop him in a few emails and DMs to musicians who worked on Hell of Presidents. So I felt a lot more comfortable name dropping uh, Chris in those uh, in those those messages, giving me a, a sense of legitimacy reaching out to these strangers. Uh, so thank you guys, I I really appreciate it. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening.